Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. A winter Nordic sea breeze would chill the skin of most men. They'd feel it in their throat, their hands, their eyes, their bones. But to this 12-year-old boy, the only thing he felt was a burning, hot rage. It's 972 AD, Norway. Vikings rule the land and seas of Scandinavia. And Olaf Crowbone, an orphaned slave, is destined for greatness. With a blood-splattered swing of an axe, he took his first life. And with a blood-splattered swing of a crucifix, he took Norway. Hello and welcome back to Badass of the Week. My name is Ben Thompson and I am here as always with my co-host, Dr. Pat Larish. Pat, we are talking about some cool Viking stuff today. We are indeed. <laughs> Pat, you have a really fun Viking that we're going to be talking about, one of the Viking greats. Mm -hmm. It's a thing, so I, I wrote a book about Vikings. One of my Guts of Glory books is about Vikings. I always love hearing Viking stories because one of the things I always say is that everybody loves vikings but it's hard to name one mm -hmm. you know other than i guess leif erickson but he's not the kind of viking you're thinking of when you're thinking about vikings and so after today people will be able to name one and he's got a pretty cool name olaf crowbone crowbone which is awesome and i just want to like in the course of my research for that book i came across a lot of really fun Viking names. Mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe it would be fun to just read some here. Yeah, I have a PowerPoint slide on the talk I do for kids schools about Vikings. And um, there's actually a, a little beer hall near my house called Skull that is kind of Viking oh. themed. Yeah, they have mm -hmm. old helmets and they do they have different types of meads and they have various, you know, replica of Viking armor and, and weaponry and stuff hanging up. Mm -hmm. And there's a mug club and they they do uh, a lot of Viking style food. Ooh, Viking style food. Do you have a favorite Viking style dish? For my birthday one year, it was like the middle of COVID, but you could like go pick yeah. up a box and make it at home. And I got some mm -hmm. kind of like roasted chicken thing that was really awesome. Ooh, <laughs> nice. But I've done a talk there about this too. And I like going down, yeah. I like the slide where I go through all of my my Viking names that are fun. So I'm going to read a couple of them for you here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So some of them, well, I have stories for it. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of heralds. There's a herald Wartooth and a herald Bluetooth. And Bluetooth is actually named after Harold Bluetooth. Yeah. The idea being that he unified his people and your Bluetooth system will unify your earbuds and your laptop or whatever. Yeah, it is that, which is pretty cool. Uh, but the reason... He's called Bluetooth is kind of still a mystery to historians, as with many Viking history things. But there's a thought like we have seen evidence of people who like they think maybe the Bluetooth is he just had a dead tooth, you know, and it just had gone gray or blue. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen evidence that like in some of the bones that we've dug up of of Norse people, that there are scratches like man-made scratches in the teeth. And there's a thought that maybe they tattooed their teeth. Oh, wow. Like with a blue line. Like Scrimshaw, but or, yeah, like, yeah, but on your own teeth. Just to be extra terrifying, which it's like a huh. like a Viking grill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like you go get your nails done, you go get your teeth done. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there's also a guy who goes by Magnus Bearlegs. 
he was fighting in Scotland. He... Now, is this is this bear as in the animal roar or bear as in oh not clothed? Oh, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, no, it's it's B A R E Magnus Bear Legs. Okay, mm-hmm. because he fought the Scots and he thought the kilt looked cool, so he started wearing one. Oh, and so, so all of the Vikings called him Bear Legs because he wore a kilt. <laughs> cool. Then there's a. Uh, Einar Jingle-Scale. He was a musician. That's fun. Great name. Great name. My favorite might be Ivind the Plagiarist. He was a writer. (laughs) And plagiarist is interesting because there's two different ways you can translate that word. One is plagiarist Mm -hmm. and one is destroyer of scalds. Scald being a person who wrote and did poetry. Mm -hmm. So he, he was either like really awesome at it or he ripped everybody off and uh-huh. we don't know enough about it to know which yeah i'm imagining someone using chat gpt to write his sagas oh i like it i don't i teach high school i'm not allowed to like chat gpt but oh i like your i like where you're going with it no chat gpt is going to put me out of business i'm a professional <laughs> writer remember like that's what i do for a living no, no, I'm, just, no, no. I'm, I'm i'm out if like i had chat gpt write like right i was just like write about a samurai in the style of badass of the week and it produced something and i was like damn it, this is better than what I do. (laughs) I don't know about that, but did you fact check it? Because sometimes ChatGPT will just kind of go on autopilot, which is what it does, and make stuff up. Yeah, that's fair. I didn't double check it. I just printed it directly to my book. No, (laughs) just kidding. Yeah, Yeah. no, Dr. Larish says double check your sources. Yes, good idea. Anyway, anyway, so we've got these names. Yeah. Um, Do you have a few other Viking names with cool epithets up your sleeve? Yeah, there's there's an Ivar the Boneless. Whoa. He led the great heathen army into England. We don't know why he's called Boneless. There are a number of suggestions for this. One is that he might have had... um, some sort of like um, leg leg thing, some kind of degenerative mm-hmm. leg disorder. Mm-hmm. He's mentioned being carried around on a shield a lot. Oh, okay. Which yeah. was actually a thing that you did ceremoniously, like ceremonially for Viking kings, mm-hmm. but it's possible that he couldn't walk and they called him the boneless. Hmm. He also didn't have kids and people have suspected that it could be that, but I don't know if I'm even allowed to make that joke on the website, but <laughs> or on the podcast, but um but yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to read a couple more of these uh-huh. that I don't have any good stories for. Just go through the list. Yeah, Thorfinn Skullcleaver, Hothbod the Indomitable, Thorleaf Goaty the Overbearing, Olaf the Peacock, Had the Hard, Rolf the Woman Loving, and then oh, Sigurd Snake in the Eye. What does that mean? I don't know. He might have had some kind of eye <laughs> thing going on. We don't know why he's called Sigurd. Uh-huh. Sigurd Snake in the Eye, Bjorn Ironsides, and Ivar the Boneless were all brothers, which is just great. <laughs> they were all sons of Ragnar Harry Breaches, who was called Harry Breaches because there's a story that in order to save a princess, he had to fight this big snake. So he made, like, he took leather pants and stuffed them with hair oh. so that if the snake bit him, it couldn't penetrate okay. through to bite his leg. It was a super venomous snake or something. I don't know. I don't know. It so sounds kind of tactical pants. Yeah, kind of rock star tactical pants. Yeah. Oh, and then to round off the list, uh, Eric the Red's mother was called Thorbjörg the ship chested, <laughs> like, like ship mm. like a boat. So, whoa. Yeah, I don't know. Make of that what you will. So, now, dear listeners, you can name some Vikings. Okay. And Pat, after you tell us the story of Olaf Crowbone, they'll be mm-hmm. able to provide some interesting details about at least one of them. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so we will uh, get into that after this, I think. Hey, 
Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, welcome back. So Ben gave us a list of several Vikings with their awesome Viking names, and let's zero in on one particular Viking named Olaf Crowbone. And this dude baptizes the Vikings with violence. If you're looking for a chronological ballpark, we're talking the years maybe 960 to about 1000 CE. And who is this guy? Who is this Olaf? Obviously, he's not the snowman from the movie Frozen. Let's let Snorri Sturluson introduce him. This is Snorri Sturluson who wrote a lot of Icelandic sagas and works that are important for the history of Vikings, honestly. And one of his works is the Heimskringla, and Snorri Sturluson says, Olaf drove some out of the country, 
mutilated others of hand or feet, or stung their eyes out. Hung up some, cut down some with the sword. I'm getting St. Olga vibes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> baptizing with violence. <laughs> baptizing with violence. Viking yes. descent, <laughs> baptizing with violence. Yeah, it's also making me reassess the category of what qualifies for sainthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good to be the king. <laughs> it is. Or queen slash princess. Right, yeah. Yeah. So who is this Olaf guy? Well, this is Olaf Tryggvason. His father was named Tryggve, and he was known as Krobo, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. He's the man typically credited with dutifully bringing the holy word of the merciful Christian God to the heathen lands of previously, quote-unquote, uncivilized Northmen. He was baptized at the hands of a mega-holy English bishop in a really fancy cathedral somewhere, and he's actually still a legendary figure in Norway. He's a national hero, and as often happens, he's so revered by his countrymen that many of the stories surrounding him have exploded to near mythical proportions. And maybe let's take what follows not so much as a historical documentary biography, and maybe more of a series of legends. It's one of the problems with Viking history is that they yes. kind of have a very strong tendency to conflate their myths with their real people. And it's trying to extricate what's what's myth and what's real. The great example would be like if Hercules was actually a real guy and we mm-hmm. could record that he was a real guy, like, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know what but to take out of this. Much, what did we do? Yeah. What, he definitely didn't go to hell and pull the Cerberus out, but like, what did he do? Mm-hmm. Is that a reference to something? Are we just being metaphorical here? <laughs> or... Is it someone, a historical figure who acquired some sort of importance in people's imaginations and then stories just sort of glom onto them? Yeah, you have, you don't have comic books, so you have to, Mm -hmm. you have to make up your stories with your real people. And that's what happens with the, with the Viking kings and heroes. If you were a 10th century Viking hoping to convert some people to Christianity, how would you go about doing it? Well, when you think... Catholic saint or, you know, hero of, you know, religious hero from this Mm -hmm. time period, this kind of 1000 CE time period. I don't know, you picture a a, a St. Augustine or, you know, maybe a wandering uh, monk, somebody in in robes going around, you know, turning rocks into bread and healing the sick and you know, kissing babies or whatever, that kind of stuff. Some some older, very holy man, soft-spoken with a beard who uh, eruditely changes the minds of the people with his great works and deeds. Yeah. Is that what Olaf did? Well, <laughs> if we define great works and deeds very, very broadly, <laughs> he was a Viking. And even though he brought Christianity to Norway and converted his people to the religion that they still practice today, he didn't do it in the way that you describe. He was not peaceful. He was he didn't lead with the love thy neighbor message. Mm-hmm. He didn't turn the other cheek. <laughs> yeah. No, if he, I mean, if he turned the other cheek, it's because he was preparing for some swipe with a sword or something, you know? <laughs> Winding up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, our our boy Olaf did it Viking style. He terrorized
surprised anyone who defied him. He cut out the tongues of pagan priests. He burned heathen acolytes to death on their own altars. And he inflicted other gruesome tortures on his enemies and basically used fire and steel and violence to persuade them to reassess the theological error of their ways. Okay. <laughs> so that's a strategy. That's a strategy. Yeah, 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 that's a strategy. And, you know, to be fair, he's not the only person in history who gets canonized or heroized for bringing a particular religion to a particular group of people. We could look at St. Olga of Kiev, for example. Sure. Richard the Lionheart, any of those people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Olaf. He's got this kind of larger-than-life reputation, and it's quite probable that later writers basically retconned his life, and they wanted to make him sound even more awesome than he already was. But whatever the actual documentary historical facts, we like to tell the story because eh, it's a good story. So let's just... Sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah, we don't know? have any other sources, so we got to go with the one we got. We got to tell the Hercules mm -hmm. version of the story because no other version of this story exists. <laughs> yes. And along the way, we'll get to encounter a lot more of these awesome Viking names. So around 968 CE, Norway was under the control of a dude named Harold Greycloak. He was a son of Eric Bloodaxe, and Eric Bloodaxe had violently taken over Norway after the death of the significantly less bloodthirsty King Hakon the Good. And Harold Greycloak was advised by his mother, who is known as Gunhild, Mother of Kings, and she's she is an interesting character. Gunhild, Mother of Kings is awesome. Yeah, she is kind of... she's. The wife of Eric Bloodaxe, and she's the mother mm -hmm. of Harold Greycloak and some of these other Viking kings who follow. But she's basically remembered as having like mythical, like witch powers, like magic, as being kind of like a magical being. Think like the evil witch in Snow White, you know? That's mm -hmm. kind of the vibe for Gunhild, mother of kings. Yeah. And she's one of those pull no punches kind of people. So Greycloak, Harold Greycloak, was told possibly by his mother, Gunhild, mother of kings, that if you really want to solidify your rule, cement your rule, the best way to do it is just wipe out anyone who could possibly oppose you in any way whatsoever. And okay, so that's, that's his agenda. That's his business plan. Now, here we've got our guy Olaf, Olaf Tryggvason's father is a minor Norwegian Jarl named Tryggva Olafsson. And what is a Jarl? J-A-R-L? People who play a lot of Skyrim will recognize the name, but a Jarl was, the word Earl comes from it. So the, the English mm -hmm. word Earl derives from Jarl, which is kind of like a Viking prince or chief, or basically it's a chief. He's not a king, mm -hmm. but he, he, runs, he rules his little warband and his little tribe. And they're, they're of all differing sizes. So some, some Jarls have huge holdings and some have very small ones. Yeah. So Trigva Olison, Jarl Trigva Olison, who in some way or another is related through some complicated family tree to the long dead Norwegian king Harald Fairhair, was 
exactly the sort of person who could cause trouble for Harold Greycloak and his mother Gunhild. Yeah, and King ha Fairhair was the guy who is, a, is another famous Viking. Harold Fairhair united Norway. Uh, he was like mm -hmm. one of the first guys to unite Norway. He said he wasn't, he's called Fairhair because it's like not like he had light hair or that like it, it's that it was, it was great. Like fair isn't good. Like Harold, good hair. Mm -hmm. Cause he had awesome hair. Yeah. And he would, he said that he wasn't going to cut his hair until he conquered all of Norway. Uh -huh. And so that's what he did. <laughs> and so Trigva is, is related to him. So he's a threat because he's related to the first king of Norway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got some sort of family tree related claim on the throne, kind of, if he chooses to follow up on this. So Gunhilda is kind of worried about this guy, and she's clearly thinking strategically, and she's clearly hard-edged about this, let's say. So she orders a bunch of guys to stab Trigva in his sleep and burn his house down. And he hadn't done anything specifically wrong. He was just who he was. And he was part of the wrong branch on the family tree or something like that. That's what you do. You got to consolidate your power. So you've got to kill all potential rivals. So Gunhild, mother of kings, gets her reputation as being um, kind of a, a diabolical, like villainess, mm -hmm. kind of honestly, because the first thing she advises her son, Harold Greycloak, to do is to kill all potential rivals. Mm -hmm. So they do. They stab Trigva to death in his sleep and burn his house down. But... I'm guessing Olaf makes it out alive. Well, yes, because we're doing a whole episode about him. <laughs> Trinva doesn't survive stabbing, burning, but his wife Astrid, a Swedish noblewoman, kind of figured out what was going on and she escaped. And she has a band of loyal followers with her and they're running for their lives. Now, fun fact about Astrid, She's pregnant. Mm. That's our Olaf. That's how Olaf survives. And Astrid and her followers, they flee through the forest. And Astrid is pregnant enough that at one point she actually has to stop in a marsh somewhere in a tiny hut and give birth to Olaf. Wow. And she spends the next three years being pursued by murderous agents of Queen Gunhild. So Astrid protects her newborn child, she escapes her would-be assassins, and she and her followers make their way towards Kiev and Rus, and they try and seek refuge with the king of Kiev, who at this point is a guy named Vladimir. Oh, Vladimir of Kiev is, this is the yeah. tie-in to St. Saint, Saint Olya, because he is the yeah. grandson of Olya of Kiev. There you go. So we're in Kiev and Rus, we're in Kiev, and, or we're heading towards Kiev. Astrid doesn't actually make it. So somewhere on the Baltic coast, she and her bodyguards were ambushed by slavers. Most of them don't make it. The adults don't make it. But Olaf, who is three years old at this time, does survive. He's captured because that's what you do with babies if you're a slaver, I suppose. And the guy who captured him, well... Okay, he doesn't kill Olaf, but he's also thinking, well, what am I going to do with a baby? He trades three-year-old Olaf for a goat, because I guess in his eyes, goats are way more useful than babies anyways. <laughs> I don't imagine like a three-year-old is going to be a lot of fun to carry around on your Viking warband with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more hassle than anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are we there yet? No. <laughs> um, 
So the guy who got Olaf in this exchange, the guy who traded a goat for Olaf, quickly changed his mind and said, yeah, okay, maybe I'm not really interested in lugging around a three-year-old. So he swaps baby Olaf to some Estonian guy in exchange for a really sweet jacket. And I hope it was a good jacket. I mean, you're trading a human being for a piece of clothing? I mean, he's probably only really trading the goat for the jacket. Because he, he, the baby was just kind of the intermediary. Then you trade the goat for the baby, then the baby for the jacket. Okay, so, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I do. It should be a sweet jacket. I, I would hope it would be. Um, maybe it has pockets. Maybe it doesn't. I tried Googling Baltic outerwear in this period. Um, I feel like it's important to know. It's important to me to know whether it has pockets. <laughs> Olaf is in Estonia now, and he's being raised there for six years. And then finally... Remember his mom, Astrid? Mm -hmm. She's dead, but her brother is alive. And Astrid's brother manages to track down baby Olaf, or not baby Olaf, kid Olaf, purchase his freedom, and take Olaf to the court of King Vlad of Kiev. Wow. Which is where Astrid was trying to end up in the first place. So, okay, this is all working out somehow. Yeah, it only took like 10 years to get there or whatever we're at now, but, you know, he's he's there. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So Olaf was taken in and, you know, he's clearly of noble birth. He grew up with the Varangians, who are the descendants of Viking colonists and noble Viking colonists. And he learns all sorts of things, including a lot of good warrior training, like how to stay buff, how to cut people with a sword if you want them to die. <laughs> Important skills for a Viking. Very. Yes. And then when Olaf is 12, he actually manages to get a little bit of revenge. He's on the docks. You know, there's a lot of bustle. There's a lot of crowds. There's a lot of ships coming in, people loading ships, unloading ships. So Olaf sees a guy who enslaved him. And killed his mom. And I'm going to let Icelandic writer Snorri Sturluson describe the moment. Now, Olaf had a small axe in his hand, and he drove it into the head of Klerkon so that it went right down into his brain. So he killed his first man at age 12 in revenge. Yes. <laughs> in vengeance yes. for his mother and for being enslaved and traded mm -hmm. for a jacket and a goat. <laughs> okay, so he killed a guy. Okay, that is technically murder. But instead of facing justice, he faced westward. He just ended up hopping the first longship out of town. He turned Viking. He never looked back. Kind of crossed that point of no return, mm -hmm. <laughs> driving that axe through that guy's head. <laughs> so Olaf is a mighty warrior with terrible manners. I think we can assume most Vikings probably had terrible manners. But Olaf, at one point in his life, slapped the future queen of Denmark in the face. Yeah, her name was Sigrid the Haughty, and not haughty as in attractive, but haughty as in arrogant, which might be why Olaf slapped her, mm. but that's a mm -hmm. thing that we don't endorse here on Badass of the Week. It's, it's bad manners to slap the princess yeah. of Denmark. Mm -hmm. So anyway, in response, Sigrid, rightfully mad, said, that act will bring about your death. And it, it will. And we'll get to that, I think, later. But mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> he will come to regret doing that. But it was a good example of how he dealt with any setback in life. So Olaf, he's famous for being one of the straight up toughest fighters in the combat filled history of the Viking Age. 
and he developed quite a reputation among his fellow Viking warriors. Among other things, he married a Polish princess. He fought in the army of the Holy Roman Empire as a mercenary. He circumnavigated the British Isles. And, and, this is where he gets his name from, he becomes so good at casting bones, which is a fortune-telling type of thing, and prophesying the outcomes of battle, that he earned the nickname Olaf Krobo. And so it's kind of what we said in the intro where some of this is a little, it might be embellished. A lot of this is kind of from action novels of the time, but mm -hmm. you know, this kind of encompasses his next few years as a Viking. He is fighting, he marries a princess, he's fighting in the army, he's a good sailor, he's, you know, throwing the bones is a kind of pagan ritual. It's not very, he is mm -hmm. going to become a Catholic saint, but he never stops doing this <laughs> but, yeah yes. yeah but yeah it's a good story and we're, we're just gonna we're gonna run with it we're gonna run with it yeah what we do know for certain is that olaf crowbone was norwegian he spent lots of time in kiev and rus growing up and he was already a heroic figure who had proven himself countless times in raids across europe and he first shows up in a legitimate verifiable historical context around 991 when england was ruled by a man so terrible at responding to Viking attacks that he has a nickname of his own in history. He's known to history as Ethelred the Unready, or if you prefer, Ethelred the Ill-Advised. And I hope you're ready for Ethelred the Unready, because he's just the worst. He's the king of England, and that's how he's remembered, is Ethelred the Unready. He took everything that his great-great-grandfather, Alfred the Great, that's a lot of greats, but he was a pretty great guy, I guess. Mm -hmm. He took all of the great progress that Alfred had made and just completely bungled it, was totally unprepared for every Viking attack on his kingdom, and all he did to respond to them was just buy the Vikings off with gold and silver. And that's not a good way to deter Vikings that if they just can kind of show up and get gold for nothing and then sail away. Uh, that's not a great way to deter Vikings from raiding your lands. We'll hear more about him after this word from our sponsor. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days, like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to be. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So yeah, so Ethelred the Unready is in charge in England. And then in the year 991... A black hulled fleet of 93 warships shows up, and they're looking to ravage the town of Sandwich. At the head of this fleet is Olaf Crowbone. Lots of good sandwiches. They want those sandwiches. Give me the silver and the sandwiches. The <laughs> PBJ. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Ethel the Unready, whose name didn't see it coming. Olaf lands his fleet guys get off the boats, they ransack some towns. And okay, yes, there is some resistance. It's not put up by Ethelred. There's this guy, this English nobleman named Birthnoth, and he rallies the people of the outlying villages. He scrambles together a militia, and they do their best to take on the Viking invaders. Birthnoth was an incredibly brave fighter. And that's good. I mean, from the English point of view. He also had a code of honor, which you'd think would be a good thing, but sometimes it backfires. And Brithnoth, he and his ragtag militia, they were on a roll. They were they were doing great. They surprised Olaf and his Viking troops on the bank of a river. But he let the Vikings basically call a timeout so they could move their troops into position before battle. Yeah, Olaf wanted a truce and he was like, oh, ceasefire, like, let me, I'm not ready. <laughs> and this guy was like, well, I want to defeat you with honor, so I'll wait for you. Yes. And that's not the, that's also not how you deal with Vikings because the Vikings are not going to give you that same, <laughs> not going to do that same no. thing for you if the situation's reversed. No. So Britnoth, he's sitting there and he's very honorably twiddling his thumbs while Olaf marches his guys across the bridge. And this is, you know, this is not a chess tournament or whatever. It's an actual real world battle. And the Vikings, what are they going to do? Of course, they're going to take advantage of this. They form up into one of their shield walls, all their shields, this impenetrable steel. And of course, in the ensuing battle, Brithnoth and his English troops get the crusts cut off their ham and cheese by a berserking horde of trample-happy Norsemen. 
And that's basically the end of Rithnoth. There's a poem about this, and it's uh, in, in Old English, and it's considered one of the finest pieces of Anglo-Saxon literature ever written. It's one of them, it's up there with like Beowulf and those for things you should read if you're studying this. This is probably a small consolation to Brithnoth, who never got to read it because he was buried under a pile of dead Vikings with a sword in his heart. <laughs> and if we could go back in time, we would tell him, well, at least you have a reputation for being honorable. You have a reputation for maybe some other things too, given your choices at the end of the battle, but whatever. So this is going on uh, specifically in this area of England. And Ethelred the Unready, remember him? He gets wind of what's going down and he actually springs into action. He sends his fastest riders down to the sea and he sends a very clear message to deliver to the Viking invaders. And Ben, what do you think Ethelred's message was? Was it something very brave and heroic and, uh, you know, cease now and or there's more Brithnoths where that one came from. You'll, you'll pay for every inch of this island with blood or whatever. We'll fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the landing grounds in the, in the air. <laughs> something like that. Uh, something like that. If by something like that, we mean something actually very not like that. <laughs> Um, he basically said, um, hey, Viking guys, here's 10,000 pounds of silver. Could you maybe kind of stop killing us? Pretty pleased with the cherry on top? <laughs> Did he? Well, actually, Olaf Crowbone took the cash and he sailed to Denmark. And there he met up with the Danish king, Svein Forkbeard. And I would like to just pause for a moment to imagine what would cause someone to be called Forkbeard. I'm imagining like a bipartite facial yeah, fork hair. Forkbeard. Yeah, Sven Forkbeard. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he held a fork with his beard? No. I don't know. And a fork sticking anyway. out of it, <laughs> like a hairbrush. <laughs> yeah. But this guy, you know, he's he's known for his majestic facial hair. And this Sven Forkbeard guy had seized power by overthrowing his own father. But uh, that cost him a little bit. So he actually welcomed the opportunity to make a little bit of money on the side. So when Olaf showed up and talked about how the English king, this Ethelred guy, was basically giving out cash rewards for killing Englishmen, these two Vikings and their guys hopped into their ship and they went back into action. So just a little while later in 994, they roll up on the coast of England with a fleet of ships 94 ships, and they burned Essex, they burned Kent, they burned Sussex, they burned Hampshire before laying siege to London itself. Ethelred was unready for it. Well, ironically, he was in his own way. More silver. More silver, more <laughs> silver. 16,000 pounds of glistening silver. Oh, God. Ethelred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ethelred, Ethelred, Ethelred. They just spent, just buy troops, buy armor for your guys or something. <laughs> buy something else with that. Maybe he just doesn't want to deal with the hassle. Now, this is the thing, though. It's not just about the silver because, you know, in talks with Olaf to hand over the silver and say, hey, if I give you silver, you leave my people alone. Somehow he manages to convince Olaf to convert to Christianity. Okay. Yeah. And Olaf apparently took this very seriously. And why? Well, was he into the theology? Was he into the whole love thy neighbor message? Unclear. From a political or strategic 
view, it seemed like maybe Olaf viewed this whole Christianity thing as a way to unify all of Norway under one common cause, which on the surface was Christianity, but also maybe was just the thing that Olaf was doing. So it's Christianity and also it's about Olaf. And which is kind of an interesting thing because at this point we're at a thousand AD and Christianity is spreading pretty well. Mm -hmm. So while this does seem really weird for him to convert and then be a true believer, you know, he never stops throwing those crow bones to before battles to like read mm -hmm. the, you know, yeah. The yeah. casting of bones or whatever to prophesy how the battle's going to go. He never gives that up. But it's interesting because there are Christians in Norway at this point. And Norway is where he's from. Norway's his birthright mm -hmm. as king is Norway. Um, he wants to return there. And Gunhild, mother of kings, I think is still there with her kids. He wants that revenge. And maybe this is a way in of like, hey, I'm the Christian option. I'm I'm a different political party mm -hmm. than the incumbent. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it's time for a change and you can support me instead. And he's got this 16,000 pounds of silver that he just got from Ethelred the Unready. So this is actually kind of a good opportunity for him. Yeah, because he's showing up with what could be a deep spiritual experience, but in practical terms, more like a mascot that he can rally people under. And he's also showing up with a big sack of silver. Yeah, because nothing would sell religion and kingliness to the masses more than the Philly fanatic and 16,000 pounds of silver. And a bunch of English priests wallowing at the Norsemen until they converted. Which was definitely not Olaf's preferred method. No. He and his army of Norsemen, who are battle-hardened and into the whole, hey, if you give us a reason, we will totally, you know, kill and pillage and whatever. They have other methods of conversion. So he's going to reclaim the throne of Norway and assert his might and right as a descendant of Harold Fairhair. Right, because he does have that kind of weird tangential relationship or descent from from the mm -hmm. from the main guy. Yeah, yeah. So Olaf is finally after after plundering and pillaging and being a, being a good honest Viking for many years has an opportunity to. Get promoted. <laughs> and so he and his guys, which includes, you know, his warriors and also some priests, he makes a little pit stop in the Orkney Islands. Just you know, kind of try things out, test out his theory about the most effective ways to convert a Viking population to Christianity. So when he lands in the Orkney Islands, he goes straight to the Jarl's house. He captures the Jarl's son and he threatens to kill the Jarl's son with a knife if the Jarl didn't convert. What do you think happened? Converted. Okay, converted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then Olaf sent a message to all the Norsemen of Orkney telling them, hey, uh, you guys are all Christian now. Um, those necklaces you have with Thor's hammer on them, those are now crosses. Yule Festival we're calling that Christmas now, and Odin, the big king of the gods whom you have been worshipping, he's Santa Claus now. And here are some churches, and I hope you're okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, I'm going to bring your houses down and chop you into tiny little bits and pieces of mincemeat with an axe. And that worked. Yeah, it's a technique that has kind of worked for crusaders for centuries, right? Uh, yeah, you, you arrive in a place and um, 
you know, let's just take these things that you're already doing. We'll file off the serial numbers. We'll reskin them as Christian symbols and rituals. And if you don't like it, mm -hmm. uh, I got a sword. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so Olaf Crowbone and his entire pointy object bearing entourage arrives in Norway a few weeks later. Things are a mess. Harold Greycloak was dead. Gunhild, mother of kings, was exiled. And is there a power vacuum? No, because there's this guy named Jarl Hakon, but everyone hated him because he issued a lot of taxes. He kept stealing all the other Jarl's girlfriends. And Olaf Crowbone crashes his ships into the Jarl Hakon's fleet. He bashes it into flotsam, and you've got wood. These ships are just splintering all over the places. He crash lands, Olaf crash lands on the shores of Norway. He unloads his crucifixes and his battle axes, and he marches straight for the capital. Well, Jarl Hakon, who was totally popular, not for various reasons, he's running for his life. And he's running for his life from Olaf Krobon and his guys. And he and a guy that he has enslaved hide in a pigsty, and the slave, Jarl Hakon's slave, stabs him. Crowbone, Olaf Crowbone, goes into this barn, this pigsty, and rather than thanking the slave for killing Jarl Hakon, he actually kills him too, because that's his MO. Yeah, Olaf had offered a reward to whoever killed Hakon. So the slave killed Hakon and expected a reward for it. And instead, hey, you can't kill kings. It's bad for a king to be killed by a non-king. And you can't have that killer of kings go unpunished, especially by another king. So, hey, uh, slave who killed Jarl Hakon, thank you for your service, but I'm afraid. Don't take it personally. I'm going to cut your head off. He cuts off the slave's head. He also cuts off Jarl Hakon's head. And he puts them on spikes outside of the town. So... Villagers could throw rocks at them and also infer who's exactly in charge now. Mm -hmm. And Olaf strides on into the palace and sits down on the throne of Norway. I'm picturing like Conan the Barbarian here, right? Like King Conan. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So during his five-year stint as King of Norway, which might seem short, but also... I mean, given what we've been talking about, holding on to anything for five years, holding on to any throne for five years is actually a pretty big accomplishment. Anyway, Olaf Crowbone, or excuse me, King Olaf Crowbone, set up the city of Trondheim. He minted coins. I mean, you got to do something with all that silver you got from the English. And he established, get this, an English-style bureaucracy. And what he's most famous for is... The way he converts Norway from the old gods, you know, Odin and Thor and pals, to Christianity. And he does this, well, it's pretty much in keeping with his usual style. He threatens to torture and kill everyone who refuses to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And, well, there's one moment where he has 80-some Norse priests in a temple of Odin. He locks them in. He sets it on fire. He finds some pagan sorcerers. He ties them to rocks during low tide and leaves them there to drown when the tides come in. Witches don't fare very well either. He cuts out their tongues. And there was one Jarl who committed blasphemy. Olaf makes him eat a snake, which kills him. So, I mean, it's uh, it's so crazy to think about because Olaf Crowbone is still doing pagan stuff. He's just... So the important mm -hmm. thing to keep in mind here is that 
I don't believe that he really cares that much about the Christianity thing. It's more like the way in which these people are tortured to death, burned to death in a temple of Odin, mm-hmm. tied to rocks during low tide. Um, you know, and, and one thing you've also, we also should mention is when we're talking about some of this legendary stuff is that some of this stuff is written by people who didn't like Olaf and perhaps they're exaggerating and describing Mm -hmm. various pains and tortures that he did that he didn't really do. But Olaf, Mm -hmm. uh, that's not to say that, I mean, Olaf was a pretty hardcore dude. He was a pretty tough guy. So I wouldn't put any of this past him. But I guess the thing worth saying is that I don't think it's so much that he is a true believer, a true crusader, as much as it's that by not converting, these people are defying him and he can't stand mm-hmm. for that. It's a power play. Yeah, yeah. You can't tell me no. Not so much so that like, yes. you know, God wants me to do this. So this is Olaf and his methods were brutal and they were also effective. And in addition to converting Norway, he also converted Iceland and Greenland, although much less bloodthirsty. And with Iceland, he did something a little more strategic. He cut off trade between his people and the Icelanders until they converted. He refused to send ships to non-Christian lands or to have non-Christian crews dock on his ports. And so these Icelanders, they accepted Christianity at the Althing, which was their deliberative assembly in 1000 AD. And that's the same. We've talked about this Althing before uh, in our episode about the Valkyries. This is the one where one of the uh, Icelandic people said, oh, you know, we should convert to Christianity. But in the course of that speech, he called Freya a bitch. Freya was the... Freya being one of the Norse goddesses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people agreed with him, but still exiled him for blaspheming against one of the old gods. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and this was kind of a strategic move for uh, the conversion as well as like a, a strategic move for Olaf, because all of the neighboring kingdoms that can give him a lot of financial and military and other aid are Christian countries. So by kind of converting his people, he's allying them with other Christian kingdoms, uh, which is good for him strategically and politically. Yeah. Yeah. Religion is definitely a political thing. It's a power thing. Yeah. So he's thinking strategically. And we talked about how he converted Iceland. And with Greenland, well, he just had Eric the Red's son, Leif Erikson, come stay with him for a couple summers and talk to him about how awesome it was to be a Christian. And Leif converted and went back to Greenland and eventually started building churches and stuff. Now, from Olaf's perspective, was being pretty successful. He was quashing pagans. He was promoting Christianity. He was getting people to do his thing. But not everyone was super excited about the fact that Olaf Crowbone was running things in Norway. And remember Svein Forkbeard? Well, he had already been kind of thinking that he might like to conquer Norway. So he joins up with his stepson, King Olaf of Sweden. This is a different Olaf. And remember Jarl Hokon, who died in a pigsty? Well, his son Eric joined up with them. And together, the three of them, Svein Forkbeard, King Olaf of Sweden, and Eric Huppinson, they built up a huge army. And they thought, ooh, why don't we try to get rid of Olaf Crowbone? once and for all. And to add on to that triumvirate there of Svein Forkbeard, Olaf of Sweden, and uh, uh, Eric Hackenson, the wife of Svein Forkbeard was Sigrid the Haughty, who you will remember is the Danish queen that Olaf Crowbone slapped in the face. 
she said that slapping her in the face was going to bring about his death. And it does in a very direct way, as we will see. <laughs> yes. So Olaf, Olaf Crowbone, that is, puts out a call for troops. Now, the thing is, Olaf, he's got a lot of things going for him. But how to put it, a warm, fuzzy manner that endears him to a lot of people is not one of his qualities. And so he was only able to wrestle up 11 ships. And he's facing the combined navies of the Danes, the Swedes, and Jarl Eric Hokanson. These navies sail into town. He's like, oh, he's badly outnumbered. Imagine the sea covered with Viking longboats. Olaf orders his troops to stand their ground. He personally launches himself into a ferocious last stand against impossible odds. He hacks at things, he swings, he cuts down or tries to cut down anything that moves. He goes into a battle frenzy. And he does actually send dozens of enemy warriors flying from the deck of his burning warship. He was last seen standing on the bow of his flagship named Long Serpent, covered in the blood of his enemies engulfed in smoke and flames, swinging wildly as a horde of Danes swarms around him. His body was never recovered. Some legends claim that Olaf jumped overboard, swam to shore, traveled by land to Jerusalem, and became a monk. Some people think he just drowned. And one way or the other, does it matter? Well, the upshoot is that the most famous and renowned Viking in history... Olaf Crowbone was gone, never to be heard from again, except by reputation in legends and podcasts. Well, that is the story of Olaf Crowbone. He he was a he was a, a true Viking in every way that you would imagine um, a Viking to be, and uh, yeah, I guess that's all the time we have for today. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next week with another one. Stay badass. Badass of the Week is an iHeartRadio podcast produced by High Five Content. Executive producers are Andrew Jacobs, me, Pat Larish, and my co-host, Ben Thompson. Writing is by me and Ben. Story editing is by Ian Jacobs, Brandon Fibbs. Mixing and music and sound design is by Jude Brewer. Special thanks to Noel Brown at iHeart. Badass of the Week is based on the website badassoftheweek.com, where you can read all sorts of stories about other badasses. If you want to reach out with questions, ideas, you can email us at badasspodcast at badassoftheweek.com. If you like the podcast, subscribe, follow, listen, and tell your friends and your enemies if you want, as we'll be back next week with another one. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.